You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Episode 25, The Paradox. Welcome to The Paradox. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Larson. If you're a first-time listener, thank you so much for joining me. I hope this episode will provide something of significant value for you or your friends or loved ones. If you're a returning listener, thank you so much for coming back. You're what keeps me going. Your encouragement throughout the last few months has been phenomenal, really, and very significant, and it, I can't tell you how much it's meant for me. As you might have noticed, the opening of the show was different than usual. That was my son, Andrew, and his solo that he sang at the end of last Christmas in 2017 when he sang Away in the Manger with the Grand Rapids Choir of Men and Boys, where he was a head chorister. Today's episode is going to be unlike any other episode I've had before, and I think it's funny I've actually said that before during my introductory piece here, but today is absolutely going to be different. Today, I'm going to be talking with my wife, Dr. Marcy Larson, who's a pediatrician. I'd always planned an episode 25 to do something fun with her, partly because I didn't know I'd make it to 25, uh, but also just because this is kind of what we do, just kind of goof around and stuff. And there's not been a lot of goofing around the last two months as we've been grieving the loss of our son, Andrew. Andy died on August 15th of 2018 in a car accident. And so I thought instead of us just talking about medical stuff, we'll talk about some real world things and Today is going to be grieving. I think this will be a valuable episode for those of you who have gone through the grieving process, know someone who has. I think we have maybe a slightly unique perspective in this fact that we're both physicians, but not much. I think we sort of understand the medical process a little bit more, but really what happened didn't matter if we were physicians or not. It could have been anyone at the scene of the, the accident. It would have mattered. 
So today's episode, we'll go into the loss of our son. We're going to describe in some detail the accident itself and resuscitation and things that went on at the scene. So it's possible that this may not be the episode for young years, and that's the determination I'll leave to all your parents out there. I would encourage you to share this with people you think would find this comforting or maybe helpful, whether that's you or a loved one or a close friend. I think there's some insight here that will add that I that would have been helpful to me had I known some of these things or certainly some if I was dealing with someone else who's dealing with a loss like this. But anyway, uh, we'll just kind of get going with the episode. One quick reminder is that, of course, you can support the show and all the support financially is greatly appreciated. Of course, it goes towards the production and promotion of the show only. You can find that at patreon.com slash theparadox. That's P-A-R-A-D-O-C-O-S. Please go and subscribe if you have not already to the show. That way you can get every episode. We will be back to medicine stuff and doctoring stuff next episode, I promise. One thing that I'd like to add that we didn't touch on in the interview is probably about three weeks in or so, we decided to make some salsa because we had just piles of tomatoes and our youngest Peter still wanted salsa and we weren't doing anything and so there's no reason not to. Aside from being sad, but I found quickly on that you can be sad doing just about anything and or in, anything you do is sad so it doesn't really matter specifically what you do because you're still going to be sad. Uh, so we made salsa. I was in charge of chopping the jalapenos and I did a lot because I don't know, probably like a dozen or more jalapenos that I had to cut. And then probably about an hour later, I ran into some photos of Andy and just started crying, you know, weeping. But it turns out that if you wash your hands thoroughly after cutting jalapenos, especially over a dozen, you really don't get all that jalapeno juice off your hands. And so then what of course happened is that as I rubbed my eyes to rub the tears out, I set my eyes on fire. And so I would recommend that if you are in the grieving process, you are very careful when handling jalapenos. But with that short story out of the way, uh, we'll get right into the interview. This is me with my wife, Dr. Marcy Larson, general pediatrician, and the mother of our son, Andy Larson. Enjoy. I'm joined today by my very special guest, my wife, Dr. Marcy Larson, who's a pediatrician, co-medical director of a physician organization here in town called We Are For Children. Uh, she's in private practice. She's also assistant clinical professor at Michigan State University, as am I. And today we're going to be talking about our son, Andrew, or Andy. We never really called him Andrew. Uh, as I know, I've, if you've listened to this podcast before, you've obviously heard about mentioning him and sort of what had happened this summer. So I'd like to thank you for joining me in my studio today, Dr. Larson. Sure. <laughs> we, won't, we won't ruin the magic. <laughs> <laughs> Describe the studio. Um, so I wasn't really sure how to go about this. My plan initially was uh, at the 25th episode that we'd have a fun discussion about something and I kind of make up some silly questions or something about me and have you answer them. Things change as things always do in life. Um, so I think what I'd like for you to do, if you wouldn't mind, is to just 
why don't you just talk about Andy and just kind of describe him as as a kid and and just sort of what he was like and then I'll talk about what happened that day Andy is our second out of our three biological children we also have one foster son who's older um uh, we became pregnant with Andy when we were both residents at the University of Iowa. I, um, as you know, Eric, Eric was in the anesthesiology resident and I was in pediatrics and anesthesiology is one year longer. So we decided that we would have our second baby in that kind of middle year, that year that I wouldn't be able to really get a job yet and um and you were still in residency so I had a lot of time home with Andy right away and I didn't actually have to go back to work until he was um like seven months old this of course caused some significant problems because he refused to ever take a bottle (laughs) (laughs) so it's a funny story of that. Eric said one uh, one day, uh, it was probably six weeks before I was going to go back to work, so Andy was like five, five and a half months old, and he said, he will take a bottle. You just leave him with me. And I had to stay away, and I kept going upstairs and coming down and checking, and um, he would not take a bottle. And he went 12 hours that day refusing to take a bottle at all until finally you gave up and you just said here and handed him to me and I nursed him again he won the battle of the wills that he day did. for sure he did <laughs> win the battle of the wills I did have him taking a sippy cup by the time I went to work at at uh seven months but um he again won the next battle we had with him because um at nine months well, he, first of all, he hated going to daycare. He was horrible. He would not really eat much, even from the sippy cup, and uh, also would not sleep the entire time at daycare. I think we had him there, I don't know, three or four weeks, and he got a fever up over 107 from some viral illness that he got there. Um, when he was nine months old, I took him to his nine-month well visit to one of my partners, and he weighed less than he had at six months. And uh, Joan Down said to me, uh, you know what you need to do. You need to get him out of that daycare. <laughs> and I went in the next day to the daycare and I said, I'm going to have to pull him out. And they always required two weeks notice to take a kid out. And they just said, no, no, you don't need any notice. Just take him. That's <laughs> how bad they, he was. He was just a horrible baby at the daycare. So we got... Uh, Overall, through the years, we had three wonderful nannies, and I told everyone that my Andy flunked daycare. So whenever I had patients that had trouble um, with the daycare, I would say, it's okay, because my kid flunked it, too. So, um, But anyway, it was really, it was uh, special even from then, and special not in a good way, way back, but... Um, hard to know how to describe him he was an amazing kid 
super talented, but never, never thought he was. Always thought he was the stupid one in the family. Never really thought that much of himself. He had an amazing voice. I know Eric has played you a solo that he sang last year at Christmas time. Closes the show now. Yeah, it closes the show now. Mm-hmm. This is terrible. I had listened to the first probably eight to ten episodes of Paradox, and since the accident, I just haven't. So I apologize to that for you. You have no idea what I've been saying about you all these episodes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah. Andy always loved the fact that his dad had a podcast was always asking every week if it had gone viral yet. <laughs> but I think that's why it's just too hard for me to listen now. That's okay. You hear this all the time at home anyway. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, I um, I always thought Andy, I've been thinking about it more sort of, you know, how things are different now that he's not here. Um, it's been a little over two months now. In a kind of, I don't know, analogy sort of is everyone sort of a, is a spice or some sort of ingredient to the family. And uh, I don't know if he'd be the salt or maybe like the jalapeno or something because he um, was always, you always knew where he was. He always brought a lot. There's a lot more energy. Yeah. Um, sometimes negative energy where he just was really down in the dumps and sometimes, and I'd say more often than not, he was just excited about everything. And to the point where it kind of just, I find it amusing because I just couldn't get that excited about silly little things. And he was always just excited about everything. And so there's just a lot of energy. a lot of life to this family. Yeah. A lot of life. Everything was that we did as a family was more fun because he was there. We do a lot as a family. Um, we're a very close family. Uh, we went to every Michigan State basketball game for years and years and years. And I would say, really, without a doubt, Andy's the one that loved it the most. Um, I would dread if they would ever lose a game because when he was younger, he would just sob. He would get so upset every time Michigan State would lose. So fortunately, they win a lot more than they lose. <laughs> We're lucky that way, yeah. We are very fortunate. I am I am glad that we got to be <laughs> Michigan State fans as, as opposed to some other team that did not win nearly as often. Right. Uh, you know, <clears throat> near the end, oh, I hate, boy, that's just a weird way of putting it, but uh, he always played soccer. He loved sports. I would say he was never very... I wouldn't say he's very good. The kid played with a tremendous amount of energy. Just was never focused enough to really get really good at anything. He just loved just going out there and just attacking it and not really focusing on his skills or whatever. Not and thinking so, about things ahead of time. Just, just not planning. Yeah, just and just how I mean, it's how he just lived his life. Uh, so he play soccer and he just like run with wild abandon and where he had he thought about where he should be heading, he probably would have avoided collisions or not overrun the ball or, you know, things like that. Uh, His but he, first uh, club soccer coach called him the flying monkey because he was just <laughs> everywhere all the time, 
always giving himself up, his body up for the ball, whether he should or shouldn't. But um, yeah, he, he loved it. He, he was loved it. he was a kid who everybody loved having on their team, um, with baseball teams or soccer teams or whatever, just because he just was a, a joy and just loved cheering on people. He was the the strange thing about him. I thought is that he never really harbored a lot of jealousy for other kids when they're successful like taking with playing time or um you know being the star he just reveled in their success and the same goes for his siblings too right when his sister or brother did something he really just he he vicariously sort of lived in their uh, success as well which i mean it's actually been all our kids which have been very fortunate that I, I don't know if that's our doing or if that's just their personalities but I think that's been kind of a neat thing about yeah, it. This fall, our daughter, Catherine, was inducted into the National Honor Society, and she was crying that night because she knew that Andy would have been more excited about it than she was yeah. because that's just the kind of kid he was. He just would be so proud of what his siblings could accomplish. But they were proud of each other, too. I know that last year in the fall was when Andy was named a head chorister for the Grand Rapids Choir of Men and Boys and he was trying to play it cool <laughs> like it wasn't a really huge deal but his little brother I remember hit you couldn't wipe the smile off of his face because he was so proud of his big brother being a head chorister and um they went to bed that night. We went up to our cottage, and they have bunk beds that are head-to-head against each other in the corner. And I remember looking at Peter with that huge smile on his face and him saying to me, I don't think I'm going to be a- even be able to sleep tonight <laughs> because I'm so excited that Andy's a head chorister. So they really, really did love um, each other and enjoyed each other's successes so much. I think the last thing sort of talk about is Andy with his, um, he was just finishing middle school and he was heading to high school, which is the same high school his sister goes to. So, of course, Catherine is very excited to take him, drive him to school and uh, kind of show him off, I guess, to her, her younger brother. And, and he had, um, you know, always played soccer. Obviously was not a kid who did anything but come off the bench. I think he, a few times he maybe started in the years. Uh, but really, a, he only started if they just didn't have any subs right. that day. <laughs> I mean, he's he's always and he's also is incredibly small. He hadn't even had a wisp of puberty at this point, which is why he's he still able to sing old, yeah. in the boys' choir because uh, his voice was still very high. He could hit all, most of those high notes. Uh, and he uh, was four feet nine inches when we last measured him. I was planning to measure him the day after he died, actually, at his brother's checkup, but. He had just about a week before hit 80 pounds, and he was really excited that he hit 80 pounds. And, and he had been working out over the summer to try and make the JV soccer team at the the, um, the charter school that he was going to. So obviously it's not the same competition at the large public school. Um, but you still had to be decent, I guess, to play. And yeah, and he played. He practiced with the varsity all summer, and he was so ridiculously small. <laughs> Compared to those kids, he was so scared to go that first day. He didn't even want to go and play with them. And I remember just encouraging him. 
He would have a Bible verse that we would say, um, be still and know that I am God, Psalm 46, 10. And he would say that to try to calm himself down. And I remember dropping him off at that practice and watching him. And he was so nervous before he went. But when I picked him up again, he was so happy because he met so many nice kids. He said, they're just, everyone's so nice. And he did the orientation for the school. And he'd had kids obviously pick on him and stuff at the, I'd say he never had, he had a, a couple close friends, but, but most of the boys, you know, he's a little kid and he's not in puberty and they're already kind of moving on. And so he was just sort of like a, a little kid living with a bunch of kids who were moving into young adulthood. And so I think it made it tough for him to fit in. Um, and he liked to do things with his brother. Yeah. Um, he really did. So he didn't do as much. I mean, he had, like Eric said, he had a few really close friends. But for the most part, um, when he wanted to just hang out, he wanted to hang out with his brother because um, they just adored each other so much and were the very best of friends. So it was always the thing that I felt bad about even letting either one of them go to somebody else's house because I knew they would both want to go and there were only a few people that I felt confident enough to be able to say can you take the other one too (laughs) (laughs) yeah um and so that summer this summer uh he he you know as Marcy mentioned he was working on his soccer with the varsity players and sort of all the kids both boys and girls soccer teams and he somehow not only made the team but he was had some amazing practices or tryouts and he was scoring goals from with his left foot from like far away with if you know soccer for a kid who's right-handed who's not highly skilled this is pretty amazing and he was selected as a striker and the starting striker um for the soccer team which was going to be in i think the first game is about three days after he passed away four days yeah. yeah um yeah he had been uh He'd gone to that tryout, and again, we had to do his Bible verse before his tryout because he was so nervous. The whole drive there, he said, I'm not going to make this team. I'm not going to make this team. I'm not going to make this team. And it's a two-day tryout, and I picked him up afterwards, and he just had a big smile on his face, and he said, I'm going to make this team. He said, I think only maybe one or two people will be cut, and it's not going to be me. Because he could tell that he was um, just better. And, um, yeah, and then the next day he, you know, I picked him up and he had made the team. And then the next day they had practices every day then. And then that next day was the day he climbed into the car and he said, Mom, they went through all the positions. They started with the goalie and announced who the starters were going to be for the next week and they started with a goalie and then they went to the defenders and then they went to midfielders and Andy thought he was going to be a midfielder so when they didn't announce his name as a starter he thought well I I guess I'll just be on the bench like normal and then they they announced the right striker and then the very last position they announced was left striker and they said left striker Andy Larson I don't know that I have ever seen Andy happier than when he told me he was going to get to start at left striker. He was just absolutely thrilled. I have an amazing picture of him 
that day. That was five days before he died. Um, so, yeah, and they had done orientation that week at school. Remember another thing he said to me after orientation was, Mom, kids at the school think I'm funny. <laughs> and I said, Bud, you are funny. So, uh, yeah, anyway, then he went to school that next week. They had um, orientation Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So on Wednesday, they had to go, um, they volunteered at a, like a kid's uh, food basket and they were making up lunches for um, the homeless and he had a great day. He sent me a text message. Uh, they were supposed to be done at 12.15 to get picked up and he sent me a message at 12 o'clock saying, we're back at the school, can you come get me? And I wrote him, sure, I can come right now because I was on my lunch break from work. So I uh, started driving, and then he called me. And um, I said, yeah, I'm on my way. And I knew exactly where I was in the road, and I said, I'll be there between seven and nine minutes. I was just kind of being silly um, on that drive. And he said, okay, and um, hung up the phone. And I was turning really almost into the school. I was like just a couple blocks away and it's seven minutes later and he calls me back and I said Andy I told you seven to nine minutes it's only been seven and he said mom I'm just so excited to tell you about my day I just couldn't wait so you know I talked to him on the phone for those 30 seconds until I pulled up and then we hung up and started talking and he started going on and on about his day and the great kids he was meeting and two of the people he'd worked with were on the soccer team and um he just had a fantastic day and then we're driving uh and he was quiet for a couple you know five seconds or something and then all of a sudden he blurts out I'm just so excited and I said oh are you excited to go to soccer practice tonight? Because he had soccer practice. Are you excited for orientation tomorrow? What are you excited about? And he said, no, I'm excited we get to go to the Whitecaps game tonight. And the Whitecaps are the, the um, so single this, A yeah. um, baseball. baseball team, Tigers affiliate and here in Grand Rapids. Um, and we were going to the Whitecaps game and so night. My day was interesting in that I was on call at the hospital and I was not expected to, I was second call, which means I'm generally there till about seven or eight or nine o'clock. And so <clears throat> you're heading to the baseball game with the two boys. My daughter, uh, our daughter was going to be st stuck. Obviously uh, she had a violin lesson. Foster son was at working and we're going to go to the baseball game Friday because it was Harry Potter night. And so I'd gotten some tickets for the Friday night game. But we had a work event Wednesday, two days earlier, and um, with the work event, I could go for free. We had um, uh, all the food we could eat and stuff, but any family member I brought with me was $29, so I was like, man, if I take the whole family, that's like $150 <laughs> to see a single-A baseball game. I don't think the food is that great. You know, I wasn't that excited to do that. But then I looked at the calendar, and Catherine had her lesson, and Valerian was working, and then Eric call. was on call. And I thought, well, it's only two. Maybe I'll just take the boys. 
So I asked both boys if they wanted to go, and they did. And Peter, our youngest, said, Mom, I think this will be a great mother-son thing to do. So I got those tickets. We had the three tickets. And then Eric calls at 3.30 in the afternoon and said, I'm almost done. Um, I'm... This, the ORs are really slow. And I said, well, remember, we're going to the Whitecaps game, which I think he had even forgotten. I don't think he No, remembered. I remembered. I remembered. And I thought, well, I guess maybe I could go, but I didn't know if there, there'd be tickets. And- right. So I uh, talked to someone at the office, and sure enough, somebody, one of the nurses was going to go, and um, she decided against it at the last minute, so they had an extra ticket. And they said, do you want me to bring it to your house? And I said, no, no, we'll just stop by the office. It's not a big deal. Um, and then we'll just go and we'll wait for Andy to get out of soccer practice. and um, Which was late. Which was late. Soccer practice ran until 6 and the game started at 7, although the food wasn't going to be there till 7.30. So we weren't really rushing. So we were heading and we used to go to baseball games all the time when they were little. Um, obviously, as your kids get older, your time to do things changes. And so we just hadn't had the opportunity to really make many baseball games. And so this was our first one of the season. So And Andy loved those baseball games from the age of two, even younger than that. If we would drive on the road going to the baseball game, he would get excited. And if we would drive past the baseball stadium and not go to the game, he would start crying. It was unbelievable. I <laughs> didn't matter what yeah obviously it wouldn't matter what season it was no it could be he winter had no and, idea. You know. he just from two on it was he wanted to go to a white caps game to go see a baseball game so so, so we head to the game we end up picking up a ticket uh at Mar- at marcy's office and then we get on the freeway and it's a fairly short drive it's like 15 20 minutes now the baseball game has a we're on the freeway and uh you we're in the van peter's behind me marcy's next to me and andy's behind her and then uh I pull into the exit lane and it's actually a long, it's almost like a mile and a half or two miles long because there's a two freeways that merge there. Anyway, we're in this and it off ordinarily slows down before a game as people like said, we're late to the game. It's probably seven. It's a little after seven because the game started at seven. So there's still people, you know, filing out of the freeway to get into the parking lot and stuff. And so we're in the exit lane and, and you can sometimes be there stuck for quite a while, almost in stop traffic. And so we turn to each other and we, on the trip there, we'd been talking about, just stuff like Andy was talking about. He was going to read the Lord of the Rings series, I think, for because he's, you know, he always has some series of books that he reads first during school, and so that was what he decided he wanted to read this um, this year. And uh, I don't know, talking about our foster son and stuff, and just you typical yeah. family discussions. And we mentioned, oh, it doesn't look like it's going to be that yeah. bad. I turned to Eric and I said, "Wow, traffic doesn't look too bad. I think we're going to be pretty quick." So I. Uh, pull in the exit lane and we're there for slowing down maybe going five ten miles an hour now as we're recording this on october 21st 2018 this accident occurred august 15th 2018 so as far as specific details i can only tell you what i recall uh, and uh so the I, accident it, report is still pending yeah. so anyway i'm i'm in the in the exit lane and i think in that lane for uh, some time like 10, 15 seconds or something, and, and it's just slow, moving 5, 10 miles an hour. And uh, suddenly there's an explosion where I, immediately I know that we've been struck from behind, um, been rear-ended, and I can't see anything for a second, and then the next thing I see is just some grass uh, as we're 
traveling off the freeway um, into the median, or not the median, but into the, the shoulder. <clears throat> I hear Peter behind me kind of um, crying, sort of. Marcy's next to me moaning a little bit. And then Andy's quiet. I turn to Andy, and I, my first thought is that he's unconscious. Um, his eyes are sort of half open. He's um, got some blood around his nose and his mouth. And um, looking, I can't tell if he's, I, you know, I'm at this point, I, I'm stunned that he's not okay because I was totally fine. I mean, I felt my head hurt just a teeny bit, my forehead. Uh, and then I... He had a big gash. He had, yeah, I had a, a big laceration in my forehead. But uh, some guy came and he's trying to help me get Andy out of the car. He's like, he's okay. I was like, I don't know. But I made the assessment that, that Marcy and Peter were okay, at least, you know. They seemed fine, and Andy was not making noise. I couldn't tell again if he was breathing, so I unbuckled a seatbelt, and I just lifted him out of the car. And I had to because his door was all smashed, and you couldn't open it. Uh, <clears throat> I pulled him out into the grass, and uh, it was the last time I got, I got to hold him. Uh, I got to look at it into his eyes one last time. His little green eyes, and uh, so I took him into the grass, and. <clears throat> seemed like he wasn't breathing I couldn't tell if he had a pulse or anything so we started I started CPR and the, the guy who's with me turns out he was a medic who uh, an army medic who just happened to be you know traveling in the freeway or whatever and was helping he just felt compelled to, to help us after this seeing this horrible accident and uh, so in the grass I'm doing chest compressions about every sick 10 or so you know I give him a couple breaths but I have to I just push his belly once and just I mean tremendous amounts of blood come out of his mouth so I was worried he was bleeding out, um, aside from, you know, not responding. So anyway, we're done doing compression for a while, and then eventually the guy's like, you ready? are you tired? Are you tired? Because that's you know, what you're supposed to do in CPR. I said, yeah, why don't you take over? And so I just, at that point, some firefighters had come, and um, I told him I just need some volume. I just need some fluid or something for him. He just is, you know, and they said, we don't have anything. All they had was oxygen and a mask. And so I took over airway, and that's what I do. I put an oral, oral airway in. And ventilated for him for while they're doing compressions. We put an uh, uh, AED on him as well, which found no shockable rhythm, which you know, his heart had stopped. So we, they tested twice, and at some point, they the, when the EMTs finally arrived, they moved me to the side, and I then joined up with Marcy, who was at that point. I you just I, I don't of, remember any of this until Eric was with me again, and. Um, yeah, I I just remember saying to Eric, this doesn't look so bad with the traffic. And next thing I know, I was sitting in the grass and I saw Eric in front of me with his blood coming down his forehead from that laceration. And um, I turned over and looked over my right shoulder and they were doing compressions on my Andy and his whole body was shaking and and he had a needle in his chest. And um, and I turned to Eric and I said, is he going to be okay? And he said, yes. And then I think he thought better of it and said, they're doing the best they can. And I knew that meant no. And um, I turned to look again and he said, don't look. And I said, I have to look. And then I just started screaming. 
please God, please God, please God, over and over and over again. And then, then eventually we ended up in the ambulance. They told us that Andy had yeah. passed at the scene, and we went to the hospital and got some care, and would join up with Peter, who and everyone else remarkably was pretty much okay. You're maybe the worst hurt with the, your concussion that lasted a while. Peter had a concussion, ended up witnessing most of what had occurred, yeah, although he, he got although he got whisked away to a fire engine at some point. Um, that you joined him for a little bit. So <clears throat> before we. Those Go, were, yeah. I mean, it's, it was horrible. Yeah, I, those were the worst words ever when that medic said. Yeah. I'm sorry to tell you we were not able to save your son. Your son did not survive his injuries. I just couldn't believe that it was really happening. That in less than a half an hour, yeah. my life had changed that much. Yeah, everyone's life. So yeah, our whole family <clears throat> before I, I've got some questions for you and that I think I'm, I'll maybe jump into and answer it as well. But I think one th- I'd like for you to tell a story about Andy when he was in first grade, because that's one you told the funeral that I think looking back is that uh, it's my interpretation of the or, the or how it makes me feel has changed, I think. But that why yeah. don't you tell that story? So Andy was uh, about seven years old, and I he went to school. He and his sister were both in school, and I picked them up and in our old van, and um, we pulled into the garage, and he said, Mom, I drew a picture of the family. And he was so proud of this picture. He did not want to wait to get out of the van. He, he opened it up, unrolled the picture, <laughs> And showed it to me right in the garage when I'm getting him out of the van and unbuckling him. And I looked at the picture. But what was remarkable about this picture is there were only four people in the picture. And there are five people in our family. So I looked and I thought, who did he forget to draw? (laughs) His sister, his brother, who did he forget? I said, Andy, why are there only four people in the picture? And he said, "Um, well, that's you and dad. And Katie and Peter. And I said, but buddy, where are you? And he said, totally matter-of-factly, like it was the most normal thing in the world. Well, I'm in heaven. I'm not going to grow up all the way. And I thought immediately, oh, please, God, no. And I just prayed, God, no, 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 don't let that happen. Because he seemed so certain that he wasn't going to grow up all the way. And it was such an odd thing to say. But, you know, that night, we were in, we had to stay the night in the hospital because of Peter's concussion. And I remember Eric and I turning to each other and saying, remember the picture? Because he was right. Because he didn't grow up all the way. He just grew up part of the way. So uh, it's not that it makes it easier because it really doesn't, but it does make me know that he was totally fine with it. And it really didn't bother him that much at all. And in fact, I also got another story told to me later, um, weeks after he died, actually, um, 
we used to carpool the boys to choir because they sang in this choir um, two days a week most of the year um, in the summer. It was just once a week, but fall through spring, it was two days a week. So I did a carpool with a woman. And that last year he was alive, they were in the carpool. And somehow the subject of death and heaven came up. It may be because one of the older men in the choir died this last year. It may be that's what sparked the conversation. But this other little boy was very bothered by ever talking about death or heaven or anything. And um, Andy just couldn't really understand that. And he said, "Um, I'm just so excited to go to heaven. Heaven is going to be awesome. Heaven is going to be unbelievable. And he went on and on about how just amazing heaven was going to be and how he just could not wait to get there and that mom said to me she was so struck by that and by his faith and thought she didn't have faith like that and how could a 14 year old boy think about heaven in that way with that much excitement so with those two stories I guess I just know for certain how happy he was and that even though we are crushed and devastated over this Andy went from being excited to be going to the baseball game to being thrilled to be in heaven so you've you've been through the grieving process before closely where your mother passed away when you were in college but she had, had cancer for five years or so starting when you're in high school um and now and that was many years ago because unfortunately we're a lot older than <laughs> we've come uh what do you what have you what has surprised you the most with this with what had happened and sort of how you, the sort of the process i think just how hollow and empty you can feel mm-hmm I really didn't think I could feel deep grief deeper than when my mother died. Um, we were really close. I was away at college, but I talked to her every day on the phone, and um, and I did. I I I had this little thing that I did with Andy in particular, which Andy would always say, "I love you so much," and I would say, "I love you more." And he would say, I love you more. And I would say, I love him more. It was a silly argument that we had all the time. And um, and I would say, honey, I know you think you love me more than you can love anyone. But I had a mother who I thought I loved more than anyone. And then I met your dad. And then I had you kids. And I realized that I can love more than that. And I said, someday when you get married and when you have kids you will realize that you love them even more than you love me. And he would totally say that's impossible and there's no <laughs> way he could ever love anyone more than me. And I would finally have to end our discussion by saying agree to disagree. And then I would murmur under my breath, but I really do love you more. <laughs> um, it's funny though, because now I think he was right and he really never loved anybody more than his mom. <laughs> Uh, even though I kept telling him he was wrong and that he would love someone more. But um, but anyway, I think that's just that emptiness mm-hmm. and how 
so many little things bring it all back and yeah remind me of him so that's been hard and, and silly things like i would walk by the yogurt aisle and see yogurt that he ate and cry or i'll see you had that at magazine at the just a final it was a yeah we went to a grief final four thing I, just to write on it's not for anything. it was march madness issue yeah. of uh, sports illustrated and i fell apart because yeah. i thought about how much andy loved march madness and the michigan state being in the tournament every year i'm uh I, and I think for me, the thing that surprised me the most has been just the length of time that it just takes. And I thought, I don't, I guess, you know, I'd never really thought about it, except it's to think that, you know, after a couple of months, you, you get better or whatever. And then by the time you hit, I don't know, some six months or a year, you're kind of, I don't know, over it's probably the wrong word. But I mean, I just thought that you'd be sort of, well... You're just moving on with whatever, and and it's been. I mean, it's it's a couple oh. months, and it really doesn't feel really much better. But much time at has passed. All. No, it's and I do feel like time should have stopped. It is like you said, uh, the end of October, and I feel like time stopped on the fifteenth of August. Yeah, and it bothers me that fall has come, and that the weather is cold. Because I feel like it should still be summer, because everything else has just frozen in time. Yeah, and I and yeah. this should be frozen too. And I, you know, think you see the leaves fall and you think, oh, Andy's gonna want to jump in leaves. And I throw the football and they catch it. And then we do slow motion videos and catching the ball. Or, and then you think about winter's coming and then cross country skiing and you can or just sledding. All the things that he did. You know everything. He's everywhere, and he's in everything, and so you can't not go buy things. Um, and I rem- you said just this last week, keep waiting for it to feel normal. Just to, to feel be real. like a smaller, yeah, to feel real, yeah. not normal, but to feel real. Right. Like we're a smaller family now. We're a family of four, a family of five with our foster son, but he's 20 now, so... Um, He's kind of in and out a little Theoretically bit. Theoretically transitioning out of the house. But uh, he said, I think we are always going to be a family of five. And I think that's right. I think we're just always going to feel his absence. And I just don't know that it's ever going to feel right or normal. It's kind of to like. To have him not here. I think it's kind of like he's, you know, if he was an adult child, it'd almost be like he's on a mission or somewhere like a vacation, just not like present, but still around, right? I mean, like he's still part of the family, still there, but just for whatever reason, just not at whatever thing you're doing. He's just not there, whether it's a holiday or something. I mean, I think that's probably how it's going to feel. I will find out when it comes to that. Um, what what have you learned about yourself? That maybe. I, you know, everyone keeps telling me how strong I am, (laughs) and I don't feel that way. I feel totally weak um, and just almost paralyzed, I guess, and it's such a fallacy and weird, foolish thing for people to say how strong I am because I'm just really not, but I guess that 
I mean, I'm I'm used to being able to do a lot and not really having to ask for help from people. And I just have to now. Um, you know, somebody comes and cleans, cleans my house now, which never used to happen. Mm-hmm. I tried to pick up the house a little bit yesterday, and I came across his orientation name tag. Yeah. And I just fell apart. I just, just those little things that I just can't do now. And I guess uh, just not always being clear with even thinking and things like that. Um, yeah, you, disappointing. You too. and Catherine have had more problems, I think, with that sort of forgetfulness or whatever. Grief brain, they talk about in that one group. But for me, I think, um, I think as for being uh, sort of being a husband, it's been, I, I think you, you recognize early on uh, in your marriage that the women don't want you for your um, brain and your problem solving abilities, but you feel compelled to solve problems as a man. And you know, you know that when they're telling you stories uh, that they don't really want you to give them a solution, <laughs> but you feel compelled to give them, give one, you know, and, and I know, and I've been, I think, better as getting on in life to not immediately move towards you know, providing you solutions to think problems you really just sounding off, you know. But with this, with without a doubt, there's nothing to say. There's nothing that I can say that's going to comfort you because I feel the same pain. And so I can't imagine, well, I've discovered really that you don't really, you don't need me to say anything. You just need me to be present. Yeah. And I think. And the uh, opposite is true too. You need me to be present. Yeah. No, without a doubt. But that's more, that's women sort of instinctively sort of know that, that the presence and sort of the emotional support is there. But, you know, you know, I think it's brought that more into focus for me that really I just need to be around It just, you know, and that's what you need more than anything. And, and uh, so anyway, that's. Uh, this is a question I thought of, and I don't know how I can. I don't know that I. I don't know that we know at this point the answer to that. But how how do you feel this has changed you as a doctor? Now I've gone back to work and not taken call. You've gone back to work and and you're not taking call, but you're very limited, so you're clinical. Yeah, I'm not doing a lot, but, but I do think that it has, and I've thought about it quite a lot. Um, we went on an office retreat last weekend, and I did go which was good. Um, I talked with one of the doctors and then some of the phone nurses, I I said, I think they're afraid to give me patients. And I said to the phone nurses, I think you're afraid to give me patients. And (laughs) they said, yeah, you're right. We are afraid to give you patients. And um, I said, I need to do that. Um, Everyone has wanted me to go back to work in my we are for children role, that co-medical director role where I negotiate with insurance companies and talk to people about reimbursement and all of that kind of stuff. And um, Super exciting stuff. I know. <laughs> and everyone thinks that I should do that. Like everyone thinks Administrative that I should stuff. do that. And I, that just, in general, just ends up seeming stupid to me. And I just can't do that very well because it just all seems dumb and um (laughs) (laughs) i mean to put it bluntly 
not that it's not kind of important and it is important to get paid, but in my mind right now, that's hard. And what's more important to me is those um, family, family relationships and helping parents be good parents, which is a lot of what a pediatrician does is for well visits is helping parents be good parents and have good relationships with their kids and raise happy, healthy children. And I, as it has been very painful to go back because especially little boys always end up reminding me of my Andy. But in general, I feel like I probably care even more than I did before. And it seems even more important to me to try to help families um, be good families and be good support for each other and um, cherish what they have. Yeah. So I, I think when it comes down to it, I will be able to do a better job as a pediatrician in the long run. Now, in the short run, a lot of stuff comes up and... Um, I, I just like like you said. I I don't think I'm thinking quite as clearly in some ways. I couldn't remember the name of a medication the other day, and I had to go out of the room and just ask my nurse, and she's like, she told me right away, and and I thought, yep, that's it. Um, so that's maybe not as good. Um, but I, I, eventually, I think. I think it may even make me better, which. It's hard to even say because it's very hard to think at any sort of thought that something good could come out of something so horrible. Yeah. That is really hard to think about. Yeah. <clears throat> and a lot of people want to say that to you. Like say things like, oh, he's in a better place or, oh, at least he didn't suffer or... Oh, this was the big one that really bothered me was, oh, his uh, funeral service was so beautiful. Um, think about how many people you may have brought to Christ. <laughs> and which may be all well and good, but I have to tell you that just ended up kind of just irritating me because that was not the purpose of the funeral to try to evangelize. I mean, if it did, wonderful, but... That wasn't my goal, and um, I just wanted to tell people what an awesome kid Andy was. Yeah, yeah. The <clears throat> yeah the heart the things that that you shouldn't say um, when people are going through this process. And and I'll start by saying that I, I was someone who has not gone through you know anything like this. Really, I've had a grand some grandparents pass away, but no one who's really close close to me has ever passed away. So for me, it was, this is, I mean, devast I don't know, there's no right adjective to describe sort of how you feel um, and sort of how difficult this is. But Yeah, I think you have probably had even more disbelief than me just because I have felt this, I have felt deep grief before yeah. and experienced this death of someone I was so close to before and it just seemed so impossible for you I mean that's why as Andy was dead 
we didn't say this, but he did die immediately. He had a C1, C2 fracture, so he was dead immediately. Um, but I think that's why you couldn't get yourself to believe it because you said things always work out for you mm-hmm. and people just get better and bad things don't happen to you. So um, anyway, I think that's probably it was a little tougher for you. Yeah, it's been it's been <clears throat> it's been hard sort of recognizing what had happened that it's just it seemed sort of out of body experience. I don't know what to how to describe it, but it doesn't seem real. I mean, it's made practicing medicine. Uh, I mean, I feel like I can function fine at work, but I have to compartmentalize it, and maybe I'm able to. I've just sort of been able to do that always in my life a little bit better. So there are times when I wander off and start thinking about him. Uh, then, you know, tears well up or something. And so I've got to sort of wipe him from my brain for a little bit to get through the day and to kind of finish what I'm doing. So, because I got to focus on the patient I'm taking care of because people are relying me to do a good job while they're asleep, you know, and, uh, and you had your first, uh, having to do pediatrics just recently. Yeah. And you said that was much harder. It was harder. Yeah. yeah. There, there are a bunch of, because the kids are all little, they're like five or six years old. We're doing peds dental cases. And kids, you know, don't brush your teeth, basically, uh, or go to bed with a bottle of juice. Anyway, um, it it was hard because some of the kids are really little, and it, that makes me think of, oh, Andy's always really little. And then, you know, you're right, kind of there. I I was very concerned when I first start went back to work that I wouldn't be able to do airway stuff because that's the last thing I did with Andy. That turned out to be okay. So I mean, I was. It's almost so. In, it's sort of so automatic. I guess it's not, it was not not been a problem. My bigger problem has been my short close vision has not been as good. So I've had to get new glasses. So that's been a bigger problem. <laughs> so that sometimes when I need to see, it's a little bit harder to see. I've got that fixed now, fortunately. But um, so I think you know for anyway for for people who are going through the, the process, I think the thing the things to say are basically you're sorry and that you're you're sorry for what happened and actually I have found the best thing someone can say to me was I have no words for you yeah I think that yeah any sort of combination of that is because that is true there aren't any words that are going to make things better and you know and people that say I'm sorry I, I will just say I know and um that's why I almost feel like it's better when they just say yeah. I have no idea what to say. Well, I had a doc yesterday say to me, it sucks. I said, you know, that's exactly what we say all the time. I think that probably, that's probably a better word too. That just, I think if you've been through it or have some sort of experience, I think that is somewhat comforting. I think just, just because the thing that always, it certainly initially was very scary for me was that, you know, am I going to feel the depths of this angst forever? Am I ever going to be better? Am I ever going to be able to smile? Am I ever going to be able to tell a joke? Am I ever going to be able to sort of just get on with life without just being paralyzed with just grief or, you know, or anhedonia, which is, you know, an inability to find joy in anything, you know, like depression. And so I think finding people who have been through it has been helpful to me to know that, you know, there's you get out the other end. I mean, you're not, you're a changed person. You're not the same, but that at some point it comes to an end, you know, as far as the the suffering, I guess, from a personal standpoint. So that, 
that's been comforting. I, not, maybe not comes to an end. Maybe that's not the right way to put it, but things change and um, you can live life um, in a little bit more normal way, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you can at least um, celebrate victories and successes like things that other kids have or something that happens at work or whatever, you know, that you that you can that you can enjoy things again in some level. I mean, it obviously things are always going to be different. Um, you know, and again, we're just a little over two months into this. You know, so I don't know how things yeah. will change. I, I think too, um, I can't tell you how many people have said, call me if you need anything or just tell me, send me something. And, and, and these are all very sincere. These are all people who absolutely want to know what to do. They don't yeah. know what to do, probably because the- they don't know you well enough and they just want to help and because they feel that they feel that angst as much as you do i mean it's temporary but they can feel that but right, yep and they always that tell me to call and my i say okay <laughs> and in my mind i say i will never call you right because i will never call them i mean yeah. i just won't i know that about myself i know that i have no idea what i need um yeah I think just going out and doing something for somebody is is better. Like you said, you mm-hmm. talked to someone just recently um, who had a neighbor who had a son pass away and said, I just don't know what to do. And they mentioned something about the lawn clearly needed to be mowed. And, and Eric, you said, just go mow their lawn. Yeah. And if they didn't want you to, then you can say you're sorry, but just go mow the lawn. Um don't don't just do a call me if you need anything because they're never going to call you. But I bet it's going to be a huge weight off if that lawn is mowed because, you know, they lost their 17 year old son who probably was the one that mowed the lawn. And yeah, I hadn't thought about that. That's and that's true. probably really painful to do that now. I mean, I think about one of my most painful things to do is to do the laundry at home. And it's painful to do that because... So many of my boys' clothes, they had the same thing. They wore the same shirt, just in the same pants, in just a different size. And I always had to look at the size to see whose was whose. And now I don't need to anymore. Or socks. Oh, socks. I could never tell socks apart. I know. (laughs) And um, anyway, it was just, I don't need to because they're all Peters now. Um, I actually have left... I haven't done Andy's laundry. Um, I have now washed one shirt and one pair of pajama bottoms um, because I feel like I need to do them one at a time because I know if I just washed everything, then that was going to be the last time. And I just can't handle the thought. I'm never doing his laundry again. And it seems like maybe a silly thing, but... As long as I've still got a little bit and I still have one little pile that goes to Andy's room, it's helpful to me. I think uh, it's important if you you know someone going through this to just recognize that it's probably, there's there's no normal way to go through it and things that you may not expect them to be bothered by, they're bothered by. But really it's, I think your presence is important and, uh, and I, people instinctively know that you need food. And so they will sign up to give you food, which is, again, just doing something that that will be helpful because everyone has to eat whether they want to or not. So that's been very, so that's always a good thing to do, I think. People are still bringing us food about half the meals now. And I'm 
I, I don't know. I kind of feel like stopping at some point in time. Um, but yet I know that it's very helpful to other people uh, to feel like they're doing something. So I kind of let them bring me food in, even though we end up with way too much food in the house. Um, it's probably helpful to us too. We just don't recognize it as much Oh, I now. think so. You know? I mean, yeah. I think going to the grocery store is, is very painful. So it is nice to not have to grow that often. Yeah. Um, cause I just see all the things that I would be getting for Andy. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, he was so desperately trying to grow. So we have these extra protein drinks and all this kind of higher calorie stuff that I tried to pump in him to get him to grow. And um, so every time I see those type of things, it's hard. I froze all sorts of berries this summer um, to make him smoothies uh, through the year. And nobody else really eats them. I don't know what I'm going to do with all those frozen berries and... I made a lot of homemade jam, and he's the one that liked that the best, and I have loads of that. Um, it's just hard. Yeah. I think I think whoever it is who passes from your family, it's just it, the, the, the hollowness, the hole it leaves in your family. The They're everywhere, and they're going to... Things that you don't ex- anticipate are going to bother you, bother you. And uh, so if you have, again, if Sprend or someone going through this relative, I think just accept the fact that they're going to be grieving and it's going to be weird in some ways they react to certain things and you just have to be, I guess, accepting that. And then I would say if you're someone who is going through this process, the one of the best pieces of advice that I think Marcy got was from her uncle who's a pastor from Minnesota. Cousin, actually. Cousin, oh, sorry. Yeah, cousin, <laughs> yeah, cousin. And he said, just be prepared. People are going to say, dumb things, things that are going to hurt you or uh, unintentionally. People are going to say things that are not going to be helpful and just forgive them and kind of let it slide. And just because they're trying to be helpful, they just don't know what to say or, or what you need. And so like, that's like those comments like, well, you know, it, at least he's in a better place or, you know, all the, those are the comments that people would say t- to be comforting, but are of the opposite. <laughs> it, and maybe that would be comforting two years from now. But right now it's not, you know, I mean, so that's, you just have to, I think, just accept that people are going to say things or not say things. I've had this problem in the, in the operating room. Do I want people to be talking about it? Do I not want to be talking about it? I don't even know what I want, but I get upset with however people, however they are. And so I have to sort of forgive people for talking about Halloween and their kids doing, getting costumes and stuff. And cause you know, we're dealing with what we're going to do with Halloween with Peter. And there, there's so many situations, things that you just get kind of. I think you just your lines for getting upset is just a lot. It's a it's it's a lot closer <laughs> to normal conversation. So you can find yourself just getting irritated by stuff that ordinarily it wouldn't bother you, but you have to just kind of control Give it. Give yourself guess. a little grace. Give I yourself think. some grace. Yeah, I think that's probably the best way of putting it. But but recognizing and giving that, others grace. Yeah, right. And I think when you forgive, and I think that's been one thing that I've learned in this process. I know I've talked to you about it, but I feel like when I forgive someone, it is really almost as much about me and forgiving myself for however I feel about someone, uh, whatever they've done. And so I, I'd never really seen forgiveness in that way before, but I feel like that's, at least for me, that seems to be a lot of what forgiveness is. And so it eases me, it excuses how I feel 
but it recognizes what I feel. And then you kind of just move on. And I think that's what's so powerful about forgiveness. I think you can just move on from whatever it is because you've, for, you've forgiven yourself and, and then you're, you can just go on about your, you know, whatever emotions you have. Well, I think we've kind of come to the end unless there's something else you'd like to mention or talk about, things that have been comforting for you, things that have been um, maybe with your friends. Yeah, I was just thinking also about, um, so we're doing a grief support group, and in the grief support group, there are, there's one other family that lost their daughter about the same time as Andy, but everyone else in the support group has been either close to a year, 11 months, I think, or well over a year, even two plus years. And they're still in the grief support group. Um, which was scary at first, right? Which was really scary. That people, oh my gosh, there's two years from now. Yeah, the facilitator you. said she started to feel like herself five years after her son died. And I that terrified me, actually. Um because I thought I can't imagine feeling like this for five years. But I think it's not exactly like that. I think even now we're five weeks into our support group and I feel like even now it's a little different. Yes, no question. Than it was five weeks ago. Um, but uh, do know that it takes a really, really, really long time. Um, and it feels so much more um, acute to us I think because Andy was so young and his bedroom is right next door to ours and you know his backpack and, and coat are still hanging on his coat in his little locker downstairs and all his shoes are still sitting there because I haven't been able to do that so if you say I've lost lost your adult child and they're not living in the house anymore it it feels like well it wouldn't be different there's no doubt it would be different mm -hmm. but being in this support group with many people who lost their adult children they are feeling that this sort of horrible pain as acutely um, as as we are yeah and i think to give those people some grace too because i think they get a little less honestly right i feel like a lot of those people say They've been told, aren't you over this by now? And you've just got to move on with your life. We haven't been getting that. I think partially because it's only been two months and no one is expecting us to have gotten over it. But partially because he was still a kid and yeah. not even in ninth grade. Right. Um, <clears throat> but I think just being sensitive even to people who lost their children when they're older and grown yeah is you know more than i thought about actually even when i went to the support group yeah i too. thought uh, anyway yeah no i i agree and i think <clears throat> and i think it's all different for however whoever you are in your situation whether it's you've you know had a miscarriage versus you've you're 80 and you have a 50 year old child who died, who passes away and you have grandchildren, maybe even great grandchildren, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's maybe in some ways, and I don't know, maybe it's harder because you, it takes longer because you just don't have that sense of, 
uh, absences often because, you know, you didn't see your adult child all the time. I don't know. I mean, I'm just guessing where, where Andy's absence is present. <laughs> yeah, every time. moment. Every moment, every day. right? I mean, except when you're like, well, he'd be at school right now or yeah, something like that's, that. Weekends are harder for <clears throat> sure. Yeah, no, weekends are hard. I know, and that's probably why holidays are so much harder for people who have adult children who have passed. Just because, you know, that's when everyone's, that's when their absence is more. It's more yeah. obvious, yeah. So, well, I, I hope this was helpful. I, I wanted to tell the story, um, of of Andy and what had happened because I know I've had people ask me. Uh, and then when it comes to the grief, I don't. I would hope this was provide some comfort or aid, and you know maybe someone in your life or yourself. I I don't know. Um, it's a little different than your normal podcast, I know. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> A lot different. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there'll be a show notes page and there'll just be a couple things um, linking to uh, the, we have a video up of the, the funeral service that you can certainly watch on my YouTube channel. Uh, also, Which the, a lot of people have seen. A lot of people have seen. Most, you know, obviously mostly people who, who know me, but, um, and then you can also watch Andy's performance, when I, I, which I'd mentioned before, his solo that he'd, he'd done for Marcy. And, um, so those will be available. <clears throat> and I, It'd be great to have a lot of people watch the solo. <laughs> yeah, no, I, <clears throat> and I would, I would urge you to share this, if you think this would be of any help or comfort to anybody, share this podcast or share the videos or share the um, whatever. I mean, feel free. I think, you know, the more people hear it, if it's of some you know, help to them, I'd. It, and reaching I'd, out is, to us personally, would be fine too. I, I know, um. Just one more thing. Andy died, you know, on a Wednesday, Wednesday, August 15th. Uh, Eric posted the video of him singing that solo on that rehearsal on Saturday. I had a woman contact me the next one Monday from the east side of Michigan um, that her son had died two days prior to that. He had been in an ATV accident on Sunday, the day after the video was posted, uh, and he um, died. And he was 13 years old, and she reached out to me because she heard Andy sing, and she heard our story, and she wanted to reach out. And we have been communicating on Facebook um probably at least a couple times a week ever since then. And it's been a great comfort to both of us. I mean, we pray for each other's family and it's been um, strangely comforting to have, to be going through this process with someone and as awful as it was for both of us and we wish the other one didn't have to go through it. It's been a little bit nice to have someone to go through it with. Um, So, feel free to reach out um yeah i think i think just knowing like again i found it just comforting knowing other people had gone through it or were going through it and were surviving right yeah. i think you know that's that's and to have useful. another family to pray for is uh nice too mm-hmm. to yep. not just be having to think about my own grief um, just thinking about others can be helpful well thank you so much for coming to the studio and doing the show um Maybe we'll do this at some other point. Hopefully, talking about something a little bit more, more fun than than this. Uh, but we'll see. <laughs> okay.
Thanks, Eddie. Thanks for listening to The Paradox. If you like what The Doc is doing, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And share the show with your friends. Become a supporting listener to get access to special bonuses at patreon.com forward slash theparadox. Show notes can be found at theparadox.com.